This is Tina Douglas, and you're listening to the Liam Photography Podcast with your host, my husband, Liam Douglas. Enjoy! Greetings, everybody. You're listening to the Liam Photography Podcast. I'm your host, Liam Douglas, and this is episode 224. So since today is Sunday, February 13th, 2022, as usual, I'm covering the latest weekly news and rumors roundup from the big four rumor sites of Canon Rumors, Nikon Rumors, Fuji Rumors, and Sony Alpha Rumors. So let's head on over to Canon Rumors and see what they have for us this week. Let's do this! First up, Canon applies for a hybrid viewfinder patent. In this patent, discovered by Canon News, Canon is applying for a hybrid optical and electronic rangefinder viewfinder. It would also have the ability to switch to fully electronic, fully optical, and hybrid as machine translated and described below. Quote, in the image pickup device, the function of the sight and the function of the electronic viewfinder are realized by using different display devices so that the image pickup device becomes large. Therefore, the present invention presents a small display device capable of switching between a sighting display and an electronic viewfinder. An image in which an image from the objective window and an image displayed on the image display element are superimposed can be visually recognized. In the above image, figure A shows the mirror semi-transparent and figure B shows the mirror fully reflective, allowing Canon to switch between optical and hybrid easily. Could we ever see this in a Canon small RF camera? It's really hard to say, but it's an interesting design. I would love for Canon to go back into the past and make a small rangefinder camera. And I do agree with that uh, final part there. Uh, rangefinder style cameras are extremely popular, and it would not be a bad choice for Canon to design a rangefinder style camera. Whether or not this hybrid viewfinder comes to fruition, well, we'll have to wait and see. Next up, CP Plus 2022 cancels Pacifico Yokohama venue. With the rapid spread of the COVID-19 Omicron variant, CP Plus 2022 has decided to cancel the in-person venue and move entirely online. This really is no surprise. I personally canceled my hotel reservation in early January because I didn't think it was going to be possible to go to Japan for CP Plus this year. See you all next year, I hope. The press release, which is machine translated, uh, CP Plus 2022 Pacifico Yokohama Venue Event Cancellation, the Camera and Imaging Products Association, CEPA Chairman, uh, a CP that was scheduled to be held for four days from February 24th, uh, 2022 at the Pacifico Yokohama Venue Event has been canceled and has been decided to hold it online alone. CP Plus 2022 is an event to be held in the Corona disaster with safety and security of visitors and exhibitors as the most important matter. And on the premise of taking thorough safety measures, we aim to hold a hybrid between the Pacifico Yokohama venue and online. We have been preparing. 
However, due to the rapid expansion of Omicron strains since the beginning of the year, the number of infected people in close contact is increasing rapidly, and the supply of antigen test kits is tight, which is hindering safe event management. In addition, looking at the current infection situation, it is unlikely that the number of infected people will decrease significantly, significantly by the end of February, and it will be unlikely that the event will be held safely and securely. The psychological anxiety of the people is in a situation that cannot be wiped out. As the organizer, I have always kept an eye on the corona infection situation and took all possible measures, but I give top priority to the safety and security of visitors, exhibitor staff, and all other people involved in the event. As a result, CP in this situation, we decided that 2022 should not be held in real time, so we decided to cancel the Pacifico Yokohama venue event and hold it online alone. We sincerely apologize for the inconvenience caused by uh, caused to many customers who have been looking forward to the event at Pacifico Yokohama for the first time in three years, but we appreciate your understanding. We also sincerely apologize for the announcement of the cancellation just before the event. You can continue to enjoy online events with your registered ID and password. We look forward to your participation in the online event. And uh, this is from February 7th, 2022, Camera and Imaging Products Association. So there you have it. That event is now going to be online only. It's not a major shock, but a uh, little bit of a bummer, but you got to keep people safe. Next up, Sigma, hopefully one more mount in 2022. Sigma CEO Kazuto uh, Yamaki confirmed that the firm had been working on a new mount options is, and its well-regarded third-party lens options and indicated he'd like to launch at least one of them in this calendar year. The remarks came in at an online question and answer video in Japanese. Quote, from the standpoint of a lens manufacturer, I always want to support as many mounts as possible, answered Yamaki. I can't say which mount, but I think I could add at least one mount this year. While it might seem obvious that the Canon RF mount would be the best logical choice, Sigma has been promising Fuji X mount user lenses for more than a year. That smaller market may prove a more intensely rich vein of demand, given that there aren't many X mount options aside from Fuji's own expensive OEM lineup. This may make most sense uh, in an environment where Sigma previously indicated it can't keep up with production, even as it has added another major manufacturer building to its campus, manufacturing building. Update on February 9th, Fuji rumors indicated it has information that the first new mount will indeed be X mount and that the first three Sigma lenses to be released will be the existing contemporary 16mm 30 and 56 f1.4 primes. Previous interviews with the CEO, who is also the primary owner of the privately held Sigma, revealed that the firm was experimenting with RF and Nikon Z-mount options. The remarks reported this morning do not preclude the firm launching more than one new mount in 2022. Sigma's older art lenses, while generally well-liked among Canon EF mount users, were never fully adopted to mirrorless, instead gaining internal adapters for the RF version. The company's more recent designs have been true mirrorless lenses, but available only for Sigma's L-mount and the Sony E-mount. 
So it is interesting. I do agree it might be that it would be the X mount that Sigma comes out with first for or next for mirrorless mount lenses, uh, being they already have the Sony ones, but we'll have to wait and see. It would be great if they offered some RF lenses as well for the Canon shooters, uh, but X-mount seems like it'll probably be the more logical decision. But hey, you never know. We may get lucky, and maybe they'll announce more than one new mount option this year. We'll have to wait and see. Next up, Canon RF 5.2 f2.8L dual fisheye lens review. This uh, review by Immer VR takes a look at Canon's innovative Canon RF 5.2 f2.8L dual fisheye lens. The general features of the lens are RF mount lens for full frame format, aperture range of f2.8 to 16, capture stereoscopic 3D 180 degree VR imagery, two ultra-low dispersion elements, superior spectra and sub-wavelength coatings, fluorine coating, weather seal construction, seven-blade diaphragm. From the review, the overall consensus is positive as they give it a five-star rating. They are hoping that Canon creates a consumer version of this lens so more people can experience and record VR content. The pros, according to them, high resolution, you can use the camera for other purposes, easy to set up, no synchronization required. Cons are price, that it's manual focus only, not full 180 degrees, subscription cost to export videos more than two minutes long. And you can check out the YouTube video with this review. Uh, you can find it in this article in the show notes and watch it for yourself. Next up, Canon Patents Ludicrous Zooms. Keith over at Northlight Images points to a patent application that includes designs for super zooms so wide in range that they appear to be versions of the mythical lens that forum posters sometimes use as an example of unreasonable expectations. A 33mm f4 to 600mm f7.2 lens might have previously been used as a tongue-in-cheek reference to an impossible design. Today, it is just one embodiment of real patent application that also includes a 24 to 400 f4 to 6.5, a 24 to 300 f4 to 5.6, a 28 to 500 f4 to 7.2, and a 30 to 600 f8. Another patent from a few days earlier shows a series of fixed aperture zooms with a 24 to 500 f4, or I mean a 200, a 200 to 400 f4, and a 300 to 800 f8. Hopes for L-quality image quality should be kept in check, though, especially with the thinner aperture embodiments. The calculated aberration graphs show in the patents, example at the left, shows very significant distortion and some detail-killing astigmatisms and chromatic aberration. The new patents show Sanji Iwamoto as the Canon inventor. Iwamoto has been responsible for many of the firm's recent zoom lens patents, appearing to specialize in designs that involve moving elements. So those are some odd lens designs, to say the least, but who knows, maybe we'll actually see some of those come into production. And last up for Canon rumors for this week, Canon to fix R5 freeze issue in firmware. When the R3 firmware update came out and indicated it squashed a freeze problem, the ears of many R5 owners perked up. 
And now we have confirmation from multiple people speaking directly to Canon service representatives that they expect a firmware fix to be pushed out for the R5 in the next release. A Canon service rep stated in an email, quote, Canon has already acknowledged this phenomenon in question and is now planning to correct the firmware. Once the countermeasure firmware is ready, we will make an announcement on our website. The R5 freeze issue proved to be rare for most people who experienced it. Opening the battery compartment and closing it successfully fully resets the camera in a couple of seconds. While many forum dwellers attempted to narrow down the settings and accessories that might be involved, the infrequency of the freeze made this extremely difficult. So it is a little bit of an odd issue, this random freeze that can happen from time to time, but it is good that Canon is doing their best to stay on top of bugs like this in their firmware. All right, and that's going to wrap up Canon Rumors. Now we'll head on over to Nikon Rumors and see what they have for us for this week. First up, the new Voigtlander APO Scopar 90mm f2.8 SL2 S lens for the Nikon F mount. Cap Camera Translated posted a quick hands-on with some sample photos of the new Voigtlander APO Scopar 90mm f2.8 SL2S lens for the Nikon F mount, now in stock at Adorama, Amazon, and B&H Photos. More sample images can be found on the official Cosina website. So it is definitely a little bit of an exciting lens. It does look very beautiful. It is an attractive design, and uh, I'm sure there's F-mount shooters out there that will definitely love to pick that up. And you can check out the images for yourself in this article in the show notes. They are absolutely beautiful photographs. Next up, new TT Artisan 23mm f1.4 APS-C mirrorless lens for the Nikon Z-mount released. Today, TT Artisans released the 23mm f1.4 APS-C mirrorless lens for the Nikon Z-mount. The lens was already available for other mirrorless mounts. Orders for the lens can be placed online at all TT Artisan APS-C lenses can be found at the accompanying link. TT Artisan offers international shipping. Pergear also offers international shipping. You can also find the lens at Adorama, B&H Photo, Amazon US, and Amazon Canada. Additional information on the new lens can be found in an accompanying article. It is 63 millimeters wide by 43 millimeters tall. Um, it is a gorgeous lens. I mean, I absolutely love the design. Uh, focal length is 23 millimeters. Filter size is 43. It's APS-C and micro four-thirds available. Maximum aperture of f1.4. Minimum aperture of f16. Closest focusing distance is 0.2 meters. Diaphragm blades, 10 pieces. Mounts available, E, X, EOS M, and Micro Four Thirds. Optical design, eight elements and six groups. The lens weighs between 222 and 225 grams, depending on the mount. Focus method is manual, and the angle of view is 62 degrees. And it is a nice looking lens. Like I said a moment ago, it's absolutely gorgeous. Uh, there are no sample images made with the lens in this article, but still, it looks like it could be an intriguing lens. And being it's a TT Artisan lens and it's manual only, probably reasonably inexpensive would be my guess. So it is a 35 equivalent focal length. Um, so 23 millimeters is equivalent to 35 millimeters in full frame equivalency. So there you go. That could be a good lens for street photography, depending on the image quality it can make. 
Next up, Nikon Japan expect more than six months delay for the Nikkor Z 400mm f2.8 TCVRS mirrorless lens. Nikon Japan issued a notice warning that demand for the new Nikkor Z 400mm lens has been beyond expectations and they may not deliver on time all current pre-orders. The lens is, is expected to start shipping on February 18th. Customers should expect more than six months wait time for the new lens to be received. The Nikkor Z 400mm pre-order links, it's available in the Americas at Adorama, B&H Photo, Amazon, Paul's Photo, Service Photo, and Camera Canada. In Europe, you can pre-order at Calumet DE, Calumet NL, Park Cameras, and Wex. Here's the full text. Google translated notice regarding delivery of the Nikkor Z 400mm f2.8 TCVR lens. Dated February 8th, 2022. Thank you for your continued patronage of Nikon products. The Nikkor Z 400mm, which is scheduled to be released on February 18th, 2022, has received a large number of reservations way beyond expectations. For this reason, we may not be able to deliver the product on the day of release to customers who have already made a reservation. In addition, it may take more than six months for the product to be delivered to customers who make a reservation in the future. We sincerely apologize for any inconvenience caused to customers who are waiting for this product. We will do our utmost to deliver the product as soon as possible, and we appreciate your understanding. And there are a couple of beautiful images of the lens in this article that you can check out for yourself. Bit of a bummer that it can take up to six months to receive your copy once you place your order, but unfortunately, that is the current nature of things. Sad, but true. Next up, new firmware updates released for the Nikon Coolpix A900, the Coolpix B700, and the Coolpix W300 cameras. Today, Nikon released new firmware updates for the Nikon Coolpix A900, the B700, and the W300 cameras. For the A900 version 1.5, the B700 version 1.6, and the W300 version 1.6. All three updates fix the same issue. The order in which pictures were displayed in the SnapBridge download pictures thumbnail list would sometimes change. Note update SnapBridge to version 2.8.3 or later. I am pleasantly surprised that Nikon is still providing firmware updates for older point-and-shoot cameras. And that is a little bit surprising, but good. Good for Nikon. That's the right way to do things to keep your customers happy and coming back. Next up, Topaz Labs Gigapixel AI version 5.8 released, currently on sale. Topaz Labs released Gigapixel AI version 5.8 with several improvements, including better face refinement and increased speed when upscaling and enhancing images. The Google Pixel AI software lets you upscale photos by up to 600%. The new Topaz Labs Gigapixel AI is now $20 off until February 18th. You can use the coupon code RUMORS15 to get an additional 15% off. Here is what's new in Gigapixel AI version 5.8. Improved face refinement pipeline, Gigapixel AI will now do a much better job detecting human faces more often and delivering more realistic results. Tiny background faces especially should see a noticeable improvement in quality. Significant image quality improvements with the Windows GPU. You'll notice much better image quality across all models of Gigapixel AI when using GPU-powered Windows machines. 
reduce memory usage, we've streamlined how we cache and utilize image data throughout the entire editing pipeline, resulting in less memory usage and faster importing and exporting of image files. Lots of usability improvements and bug fixes. We've improved the post-processing resize algorithm, optimized how we compress JPEG, PNG, and TIFF files when exporting, and squashed a bunch of annoying bugs. Uh, let's see here. All right, so major changes, new face detection and refinement models, reduced export memory usage on large images, improved detail on almost all models with Windows GPU, improved image import export time, especially on JPEGs and non-integer scale factors, improvements, faster auto parameter detection models, added install Photoshop plugin menu option, Stopped exiting app when exiting tutorials. Added tooltip to explain why processing disabled when too zoomed out. Added hold spacebar for original view function to all previous modes. Improved preview status label and update preview button synchronization. Added proper pinch to zoom and scroll to zoom. Fixes, fixed width height not propagating to other images in batch, fixed external editor integration opening in standalone on Mac OS, fixed faces being offset in preview, fixed incorrect colors on importing certain images, fixed certain color profiles causing crash on import, fixed some color shift issues on export to TIFF, DNG, and PNG, fixed external file changes not reflected after closing and reopening the image, Fixed download automatically restarting after cancel. Fixed online installer not linking plugins. Fixed uninstaller leaving behind model and log files. Fixed Photoshop plugin not showing up in menu. Fixed using one times model when scale factor over 6x. Fixed preserve format exporting TIFF for raw. Fixed preview aliasing when zooming out too far. Removed Preview status labels in crop mode. Fixed comparison views not selectable in plugin mode. Fixed comparison view duplicate when controls modified while processing. Fixed file dropdown open by default in external editor on Windows. Changed save as to apply an external editor file menu. Disabled invalid, invalid functionality in external editor mode. Known issues. Model downloads cannot be canceled once in progress. Black lines visible in output at certain sizes, rectangular artifacts in very dark areas when reduced color bleed disabled, color shift in saturated areas when reduced color bleed disabled, pixel shift and color shift in using when using very compressed model, saved TIFFs of very large images cannot be opened in some viewers, saving fails when output file name is too long for file system, Modifying controls when batch processing can cause strange behavior. Slower performance on CPU when optimized models not downloaded. And slow performance when loading raw files. And this information all comes from photo rumors. And you can check out the entire article in this week's show notes. Next up, Casina is rumored to announce the first Z-mount lens, the Voigtlander Nocton D 35mm f1.2. At the 2022 CP Plus show in Japan, Cosina is rumored to announce their first mirrorless lens for the Nikon Z-mount, the Voigtlander Nocton D35mm f1.2. I assume the new lens will be based on the current Voigtlander Nocton 35mm f1.2 X lens for Fuji mount. 
Uh, here are the leak details. Nikon Z mount APS only lens or APS-C only lens scheduled to be released in March of 2022. More third-party lenses for Nikon Z mount can be found at an accompanying link. And this story is also from Photo Rumors. And last up from Nikon Rumors for this week, updated Zenitar 60mm f2.8 macro EA lens for the Nikon F mount. There is an updated version of the Zenitar 2.8 60mm macro lens for the Nikon F mount. The updated version has a new optical design and is priced at around 480 in the US. Zenit lenses are sold at B&H. Additional third-party lenses for Nikon F mount can be found at the accompanying link. There are some images of this new lens in this article in the show notes that you can check out for yourself. All right, now we're going to take a short break and then we'll head on over to Fuji Rumors. We hope you're enjoying this edition of the Liam Photography Podcast. The best way to support the show is to subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or anywhere else that you get your podcasts. If you want to leave comments or suggestions for future episodes, you can call or text the show at area code 470-294-8191. And you can email the show at liam at liamphotographypodcast.com. You can find the show notes and links at liamphotographypodcast.com. And you can tweet the show at liamphotoatl using the hashtag. Hashtag Liam Photo Podcast. And now back to the show. And we're back. So now we'll head on over to Fuji Rumors. First up, new Fujifilm deals or why Fujifilm prefers mail-in rebates over instant re- rebates like the new up to $500 off GF lens deals. Some Fuji Rumors readers located in the USA are a bit annoyed by the new trend of Fujifilm to offer cash back mail-in rebates instead of instant rebates. You can get the GF 30mm f3.5, save $300 at B&H Photo, Amazon US, and Adorama. The GF 50mm f3.5, save $200 at the same three retailers. The GF 63mm f2.8, save $300 at the same three retailers. The GF 32-64 f4, save $500 at the same three retailers. And the GFX 50R, save $1,500 at B&H Photo, Adorama, Amazon US, and Moment. The XF, XC, MKX deals. Buy any Fujinon XF, XC, or MK lens and get a free Fujifilm lens protective filter. Fujifilm X-T4 deals. Buy the Fujifilm X-T4 body only or kit and get free Sarmonic microphone. Now, here in Europe, cashback deals are the norm, but I can understand that for a customer, getting the rebate instantly makes life a bit easier. So why is Fujifilm USA following the steps of Europe? Well, the reason is probably rather simple. As you know, the Japanese fiscal year ends on March 31st. Before that date, Fujifilm wants to show up in front of investors with the best sales figures possible. One way to improve the numbers is to offer cashback deals because 1. Fujifilm launches deals shortly before the fiscal year ends. 2. The deals boost sales. 3. Customers initially pay full price for their gear. 4. Fujifilm will show up in front of investors with better sales numbers. It will result as if Fujifilm sold all their gear at full price. And 5. Once the yearly financial report is out, they will start to refund customers. 
This is probably also why Fujifilm writes that if you buy your discounted GF lens today, you will need up to eight weeks to get your refund processed and delivered. Hence, you'll get your money back in April after the Japanese fiscal year is over. Sure, then in 2022, they will have to pay back the money and this will be will influence their next fiscal report, but that's a problem for the following year. A problem that gear like the Fujifilm X-H2 will take care of, which hopefully for Fujifilm will sell very well, and if not, there is still the option for more cashback deals. Look, if this helps Fujifilm, I am fine with it. It's really not that big of a deal to mail Fuji the invoice and the serial number and then wait a few weeks to get your money back. I literally just mailed them my, ja uh, my last purchase three days ago. Easy and smooth process. Latest deals per category by qualifying GF lens and get a prepaid MasterCard worth up to $500, free Fujifilm lens protective filter with Fujinon MKX, XC, or XF lens purchase, free Sermonic microphone with the purchase of the Fujifilm X-T4 body or kit, save $1,500 on the Fujifilm GFX50R. Uh, buy within April 3rd and submit your claim by May 3rd. So there you have it. That is what Fuji is doing. And it does make sense, especially since they have their fiscal year report coming up soon. Next up, the hunt continues. GFX 100S in stock at Adorama sold out at B&H and up to $500 rebates on GF lenses. As to expect, the Fujifilm GFX 100S sold out quickly at B&H Photo, but at least you now you can now find a limited number of the 100S cameras available at Rama, and Moment has one left. You can order the, B, uh, the Fujifilm GFX 100S at B&H Photo, Amazon US, at Rama, Focus Camera, and Moment. Fujifilm also launched new GFX deals, which give you access to up to $500 in saving on select GF lenses. So there you have it. I'm not going to read the rebates once again because I just read them in the previous article, but more deals and it is possible to find a 100S, although not easy. I wish to goodness sakes I could afford to get one myself, but not there yet. Next up, three-legged thing, Gracie L bracket for Fujifilm GFX 100S and the 50S II. Three-Legged Thing has announced their Gracie L-Bracket for these two cameras. Down below is the press release. The Gracie Three-Legged Thing L-Bracket for Fujifilm GFX 100S and 50S2 can be ordered at B&H Photo, Amazon US, and Adorama. Uh, let's see here. It is a cool-looking um, L-Bracket. Uh, it is looks like it's available in a charcoal gray color as well as orange. Award-winning British tripod maker Three-Legged Thing has announced Gracie, an innovative dedicated L-bracket for two of the GFX range of medium format cameras, the 100S and the new 50S II. Three-Legged Thing collaborated closely with Fujifilm to ensure the key functionality of the camera was considered and included during the L-bracket's design process. Quote, we're delighted to work with the team at Fujifilm to bring our L-bracket expertise to these two great GFX cameras, said Stuart Boston, Three-Legged Things Chief Operations Officer. The medium format is perfect for a wide range of photography genres that benefit from using an L-bracket, and we've built in some additional innovations that will improve workflows for photographers and videographers alike. The demand for Gracie is great. Greater than we anticipated, it is clear that Fujifilm customers have been crying out for an L-bracket with a level of innovation that improves both stability and workflow. 
precision engineered from aerospace-grade magnesium alloy, Gracie has been designed to perfectly fit the contours of both the GFX100S and the 50S2, providing full access to the side ports, battery door, and memory card slots. The base of Gracie features cutouts for easy access to the rear tilt screen, along with a notch for improved audio of in-camera video playback. It also has a useful strap slot for the end, ideal for attachment of hand straps. A stainless steel one-quarter 20 camera screw is supplied to attach Gracie to the camera. Quote, we built in some additional innovations that will improve workflows for photographers and videographers alike. Gracie features a unique extendable base, enabling the use of the tethered cables and portrait orientation, and an accessory for cable management is also supplied with the L-bracket. Studio and portrait photographers will find this useful for tethered shooting. Gracie's vertical aspect has an open profile which provides users access to all ports on the side of the camera. There is also a combined 1 quarter 20 and 3 8 16 accessory attachment point at the base of the vertical aspect, which can be used in either landscape or portrait orientations and enables the attachment of an arm for lights or monitors directly to the base of the camera. Gracie is available in three-legged things, two signature L-bracket colors, copper and metallic slate gray, and is available at www.3leggedthing.com and camera retailers worldwide with a suggested retail price of $119.99 or 99 euros. For more information, visit www.3leggedthing.com. So it is a pretty cool looking L bracket. I have a feeling it's going to be pretty popular. L brackets over the last uh, five to 10 years or so uh, have become super popular with photographers and videographers alike. So not surprising to see three-legged thing come out with one for those two different bodies. Next up, latest Fujifilm financial results, strong performance, plus 19 year over year, thanks to Instax and digital cameras. Fujifilm published its financial results for Q3 of the fiscal year 2021. Great sales for the Instac products and a special mention also to the strong performance of digital cameras, especially the Fujifilm GFX100S. Down below are all the details. I'm not going to read the entire report, but we will continue to offer attractive products by realizing the highest image quality through the GFX series and the best balance between image quality and size through the X-Series line of cameras and lenses. Next up, Sigma DCDN versus Fujinon XF size comparison. As we told you a few weeks ago, Sigma will announce X-mount lenses soon. I never gave a date, and hence I never said they would be announced today, February 9th, but I confirm everything I said so far, hence they will come soon, and that Sigma will start their X-mount adventure with these three lenses. The Sigma 16, 30, and 56mm f1.4 DCDN Contemporary. Assuming that Sigma will not design completely new lenses, but use the current designs and just adapt the mount to make it fit on the X-Series cameras, I have made a couple of comparisons already. Compared the Sigma 16 1.4 versus the Fujinon XF 16 1.4, the Sigma 30, uh, 30 1.4 versus the 33 1.4, and the Sigma 56 1.4 versus the XF 56 1.2. Sigma versus Viltrox X-Mount AF lens specs and price comparison at an accompanying link. 
One spec that is maybe better seen on images rather than expressed in numbers is the size of the lenses. So I used the CameraSize.com database to compare the future Sigma X-mount lenses to the Fujifilm X-mount counterparts. Note that I've mounted the Sigma lenses on a Sony A6600 and the Fujinon lenses on the X-Pro3, since that way both lenses have their mount pretty much perfectly aligned. And of course, camera size has the Sigma lenses with lens hood, but it's really not a massive effort of imagination to think away those lens hoods. For the full specs and comparisons, you can click on the following links below for each of the three lenses. Next up, Viltrox AF 13mm f1.4 expected to ship April of 2022. It's been a while that the Viltrox 13mm f1.4 is for, available for pre-order, but so far Viltrox has not given any details on when it will actually start shipping. Well, B&H Photo now says they expect availability on in April of 2022. That's the times we live in, guys. Delays, postponements, uncertainty. We just better arm ourselves with patience when it comes to ordering and getting new gear. You can order this lens at the Viltrox store, B&H Photo, Amazon US, Adorama, and Pergear for $469. Not a bad price. Next up, breaking Sigma X-mount lenses to be announced in February. For some reason, the claim is spreading that Fuji Rumors said the X-mount Sigma lenses would come on February 9th, which now results in people accusing me of sharing fake wrong rumors and being terribly disappointed by Fuji Rumors and the lack of Sigma X-mount lenses. Of course, I never said that they'd be announced on February 9th, and luckily some of you guys out there get things right for me by saying on the forums, quote, this is the other typical way that Fuji Rumors is wrong. People make incorrect assumptions and wrongfully attribute them to the site. And before somebody attributes me further, uh, more wrong rumors I have never shared. I will tell you this, Sigma will announce the first X-mount lenses sometime in February. I say it now after the February 9th launch to avoid a create, to create false hope in the community for an event that was reversed to this lens, or reserved to this lens. I'm making my last checks and will then share the real announcement dates as soon as I can. It ju could just be a matter of minutes or days. We 100% confirm that the lenses to be announced will be the Sigma 16, 30, and 56 1.4. And you can see the specs at the accompanying links in this article in the show notes. And last up for Fuji rumors for this week, top 10 Fujifilm X camera flops and 10 errors Fujifilm should avoid in the future. We did talk about the top 10 most important cameras of Fujifilm in the last 10 years, but not all was successful that Fujifilm did. So why did some cameras fail? Bad timing, bad specs, too strong competition, killed by Kaizen, complicated usability. Let's look into it today because knowing the errors of the past will help to avoid the same mistakes in the future. So let's start. The Fujifilm X70. Great concept, low sales. In my opinion, the main reason is that it, that it was not successful is that the Fujifilm X70 was launched with old technology on the very same day the X-Pro2 was launched with the latest and greatest sensor and processor, making it look old right at the launch. It is the only time I have seen Fujifilm lower the retail price of a camera while it was still in pre-order phase. Lessons learned, new cameras must feature latest specs or they will look old even before they hit the market. 
You can order an, a Fujifilm X70 at B&H Photo, Amazon US, Focus Camera, and at Rama, the Fujifilm XF10. Why Fujifilm? Why? All you needed to do to give us an X70 with latest sensor and processor, and instead you gave us the Fujifilm XF10 that has not even a flippy screen, one of the most appreciated features of the X70. I can only hope you will give this line another chance by launching a proper Fujifilm X80. Lesson learned, half-hearted cameras developed by investing almost no R&D in a desperate attempt to try and get rid of unsold older sensors is not a winning concept. <laughs> and you can order the XF10 at B&H Photo, Amazon US, and Adorama. The Fujifilm XF1. Wait, what's that? The Fujifilm XF1? Those of us who joined the Fujifilm X-Series system since day one, like me, will remember it. A very compact and good-looking little two-thirds inch sensor camera. The problem was mostly one, a complicated manual lens ring, pull, rotate, click, position one, position two, etc. Not the kind of usability customers of this kind of camera want to have. Lesson learned, simplicity is the key in the entry-level line. Interface has to be smartphone-like with great touch function and computational photography features. The Fujifilm XE2, uh, XE2S is basically an XE2 with auto button. It will remain forever a mystery why Fujifilm thought it would be a good idea. The little chance the Fujifilm XE2S had to sell well was definitely killed when Fujifilm decided to release a huge firmware update for the Fujifilm XE2 that brought it to the same level of the XE2S. Killed by Kaizen. Lesson learned, S upgrades must be more substantial, more than just offering an auto button. The Fujifilm X-T32. Okay, I hear you. The Fujifilm X-T32 literally just hit the market. So how can we call it a fail? Well, we can't yet, but the error of Fujifilm is doing in this is the same what they did with the X-E2S. The X-T32 should have at least offered IBIS to be a worthy MK2 upgrade. Lesson learned, IBIS is a must in mid-range cameras. The Fujifilm X30 is a really nice camera that would have deserved much more success than it had. The problem here was Sony's RX100 line, smaller, more compact, bigger sensor. The X-Trans Fujifilm X30 could actually keep up pretty well in terms of IQ, image quality, and surely it had superior colors, but not in terms of portability. Lesson learned, if compact, then go really compact. The Fujifilm XQ2. I did own the XQ2, as you can see here, and it served me well, at least until my nephew found it, thought it was a toy, and strained it beyond what this little camera could handle. The XQ2 was Fuji's last attempt to save the two-thirds sensor line, and yet it was another failure. The XQ2 marked the death of the entire two-thirds sensor line for Fujifilm. Lesson learned, compact cameras compete with smartphones. Less than one-inch sensor makes no sense at a point in time where smartphone cameras have become so good. The Fujifilm XM1. Only Fujifilm knows why two months after the X-Tran XM1 was launched, they launched the identically looking and even cheaper Bayer sensor Fujifilm XA1. Of course, entry-level customers who have no idea what an X-Trans or Bayer CFA is simply preferred the cheaper Fujifilm XA1 over the more expensive XM1.
And so it happened that the Fujifilm XM1, which actually was the slightly better camera in terms of image quality, lost the battle. In the meantime, Fujifilm outsourced the XA1 line development. The Fujifilm XA line was very successful in Asia, especially Thailand, where it outsold all other brands. Not kidding, Canon, Sony, and Nikon included. Sadly, the XA7 was not able to confirm the success of its predecessors. Lesson learned, don't confuse customers by offering two similar products. The Fujifilm X-H1. You know the fantastic reviews of the X-T2 got, all the great stuff people said about it, all the excellent reviews it got. Well, imagine the X-T2 just even better build with for some, better ergonomics with Ninja Shutter, with IBIS, with bigger buttons, and refined in all details to make it an ergonomic pleasure to use. That's the X-H1. And yet it failed. Two reasons. Two weeks after the Fujifilm X-H1 launch, Sony launched the Sony a7 III for the same price. But even more of a problem was created by Fujifilm themselves by launching the Fujifilm X-T3, with the newest sensor and processor just half a year after the X-H1. To me, as of today, the Fujifilm X-H1 is the best value camera in the entire Fujifilm X lineup if you can still find it somewhere. It's a fantastic piece of gear that sadly didn't get the success it deserved. But don't worry, the Fujifilm X-H2 will give it a fantastic revival. Lesson learned, bad timing can kill even the greatest projects. New flagship cameras need to sell before new sensor processor cameras hit the market. Okay, true, this is not a camera, uh, the connectivity subject, but I had to put it on the list. Dear Fujifilm, that camera remote app, oh boy, please just copy Panasonic. <laughs> Homework, improve usability and connectivity. And I do have to agree with that. I'm not a huge fan of Fuji's camera app. I never have been. I think it's kind of a pain to use. And I also think, as I've mentioned in other episodes, that using the app to be able to geotag your images is a piss poor idea as well. Just update your communication stack and the firmware for your cameras and at least give us the ability to use an external GPS unit that's plugged into the side of the camera. It's not that hard, Fuji. Come on. All right, and that's going to wrap up Fuji Rumors, and now we're going to head on over to Sony Alpha Rumors. All right, and now we're going to wrap up by heading on over to Fuji Alpha Rumors. First up, reminder, Sony Europe launched a new cashback and trade-in bonus deal. Sony Europe started a ton of new deals you can find on these accompanying pages in Germany at Calumet DE, Photocotch DE, Photo Earnhardt DE, in the UK at Wex UK and Park Cameras, in the Netherlands at Calumet NL. Next up, new Sigma 20mm f2.0 DGDN lens YouTube video reviews. This lens can be ordered for $699, and there are several accompanying YouTube videos in the article in the show notes that you can check out for yourself. The lens does look absolutely stunning, and it looks like it makes amazing images as well. So Sigma, it looks like you have another home run with that particular lens. Next up, Sony Japan removed the A-mount lenses. Sony Japan removed the A-mount lenses from their homepage. A-mount is gone for good with no announcement, no nice thoughts, dumped in the darkness of anonymity. <laughs> and not surprising, they haven't made new A-mount lenses for quite some time. 
Next up, DP Review published the full A7 IV review. Quote, it's enough to wrest the crown from the R6, which is also enough for it to earn a gold award. This camera is in stock and, be, and can be ordered for $2,498. Here is DP Review's take on the new Sony A7 IV. Quote, the A7 IV is the most expensive model in its series so far, but it's also the most capable. The A7IV's image quality is extremely good with excellent levels of detail, extensive dynamic range, and attractive JPEG color. However, it's not significantly improved over its predecessor or its rivals. You'll get more detail in low ISO situations, but this small gain seems to come with slight decreases in dynamic range and high ISO noise performance. The margins are tiny, but it's hard to see a net benefit to the new chip. Autofocus is powerful and can be very simple to use. For a majority of subjects, you can just point an AF point at your subject or let the camera choose one and be confident that the camera will track it and put focus in the right place. We get the sense that it's not quite as pinpoint accurate as the previous generation of models when it comes to focusing on eyes, but it's much quicker and easier to use. Video is similarly impressive with a host of tools to support high-quality video capture. While video industry standard features such as waveforms are absent, the A7 IV makes solo shooting easier by extending its impressive AF capabilities to video mode. Only the slightly jerky stabilization counts against what is otherwise a very powerful camera. The A7IV's extensive customization and power come at the cost of complexity, though once you've explored the camera and configured it the way you want, you can ignore much of what lurks in the menus and just get out and shoot. But the ability to define virtually every behavior can be overwhelming. Even as an experienced enthusiast shooter, it was the simplicity of the AF system I appreciated much more than the extensive or excessive level of customization the camera offers. In the space of eight years, the A7 series has gone from being a low-cost full-frame camera with rough edges and autofocus that lagged its DSLR peers to producing one of the most all-around cameras capable of anything we've ever used. There are a few photos or video activities the A7 IV can't turn its hand to comfortably. Competition in this space is fierce with Nikon and Panasonic making very capable, less expensive cameras and Canon's EOS R6 going toe-to-toe -to -toe with Sony in most respects. Dig deep enough, though, and the ways in which the Sony stands out start to add up. It's enough to rest the crown from the R6, which is also enough for it to earn a gold award. The A7 IV is an all-around capable camera supporting the photographer in almost any situation. Its video capabilities live up to a similar standard, making it a hugely flexible imaging tool. Its extreme levels of customization can be daunting, but its powerful autofocus system means it can be a very simple camera to operate. And that is DP Review's take on the A7 IV. Next up, Nivu Wiggle Triscopic 3D Lens announced. The new Nivu Wiggle Triscopic 3D Lens has been launched on Kickstarter, and Mark from Sony Alpha Blog tested it. He concluded, quote, The Nivu Wiggle 3D Triscopic Lens at $100 is a refreshing lens. It is very fun to use and will allow 
us to create original gifts to illustrate a product for your website or social network. For a 3D printed lens, it's well built and fully functional with an aperture and focusing ring. The lens fits well on the Sony body without any scrap of or risk scrape, I think it was supposed to be, or risk to damage your camera. The sharpness and color rendition is good when you close down a bit the aperture, but a little bit slowly wide open. You will need to learn the technique to post-process them, and for the first one, it takes you 15 minutes per photo, but with some practice, you get it down to four to five minutes. If you want to experiment with something different, worth a try, just get one and have fun. And there are a couple of accompanying YouTube videos on this somewhat bizarre, but in other ways, cool looking 3D printed lens. Next up, because science is cool, NASA used a special trick to take this selfie of the James Webb Telescope. Some of you might recall that the James Webb Telescope doesn't feature any monitoring cameras, but NASA found a way to take still images from the primary mirror. NASA writes, quote, this selfie was created using a specialized pupil imaging lens inside of the NIRC CAM instrument that was designed to take images of the primary mirror segments instead of images of space. This configuration is not used during scientific operations and is used strictly for engineering and alignment purposes. In this case, the bright segment was pointed at a bright star while the others aren't currently in the same alignment. This image gave us an early indication of the primary mirror alignment to the instrument. It is exciting to have at least one image of the telescope in space, and it's why I love science. They always find a way to solve a problem. <laughs> and leave it to the folks at NASA to come up with a way to take a selfie in outer space. Next up, the Samyang AF 50mm f1.42 quick review by Dustin Abbott. The lens is $50 off at B&H. Uh, the regular price is $749, but you can currently buy it for $699 with an instant rebate. Three new improved versions is now in, uh, the new improved version is now in stock with a $50 discount at B&H Photo. Yeah, typos in the article, so I apologize. And you can see Dustin Abbott's test of this new lens in the accompanying YouTube video, which you can find in this article in the show notes. Next up, coming soon, new Tamron and Laowa lens announcements in Sony 85mm f1.2 to be announced in spring. This month, we got two new lenses, the Sigma 20mm FE and the Samyang 135mm f1.8 FE, but there is more to come. Tamron said they will announce new lenses. Lawa said they will be announcing new lenses. Regarding Sony, this is what I can say. With 99% certainty, no new E-mount cameras will be announced as CP+. The next camera to be announced is the new ZV-1 style camera in spring. The 85mm f1.2 may be announced sometime after the CPS Plus show in uh, spring. I know this doesn't sound exciting for now, but I have been told there's a lot more to come uh, particularly during the second half of 2022. So it looks like there will be some more Sony lenses coming from third-party manufacturers, which, hey, that's always a good thing. Now we just need to get them third-party manufacturers making lenses for the RF mount and more for the X-Series as well. Next up, save 25% on Albert Dross, quote, full editing course for landscape photographers. 
The superb tutorial from Albert Dross is available at a 25% discount using the code TEACHABLEDISCOVER at checkout. Here is the latest webinar video, which you can find on his YouTube channel and in the show notes for this week's episode. And wrapping up Sony Alpha rumors, leaked images of the new OM-1 camera. It uses the new Sony quad pixel sensor. 4.3 rumors leaked the images and specs of the new OM-1 Micro Four Thirds camera that will be announced on February 15th. The interesting bit for use is that it uses the new 20 megapixel IMX472 quad pixel sensor from Sony. And you can download the PDF at the accompanying link. If I got it right, the OM-1 will have a high dynamic range mode that allows you to combine four pixels in one and create a five megapixel image with two stops of dynamic range gain. I know five megapixel images are quite small. That's why I wonder if the 102 megapixel A7R5 with quad pixel sensing would be a good idea. You can still create 25 megapixel images featuring a stunning dynamic range, but I am probably only dreaming. All right, and that is going to wrap up all the news and rumors for this week. Remember to check out the Liam Photography Podcast Facebook group. It is a private group, and you must answer a security question to join, which is the name of the host of the show, myself, Liam. And I've also opened it up to allow you to give the name of a previous guest on the show to show that you are a listener. Once you are in the group, you are free to post your own original work. I'm also the admin of the Fujifilm GFX 50R group, which is the largest group for the 50R on Facebook. If you own or plan to own the 50R, you can request to join that group, but you do have to answer two security questions to join that group. You can find my work at liamphotography.net and follow me on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at liamphotoatl. If you like abandoned buildings and history, you can find my projects at forgottenpiecesofgeorgia.com and forgottenpiecesofpennsylvania.com. All right, that's going to wrap up episode 224 of the Liam Photography Podcast. I want to thank all of my listeners once again for subscribing, rating, and reviewing in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else you might be getting your podcast. I also wanted to remind you to stop by the Liam Photography YouTube channel, subscribe to the channel, watch the videos, comment on them, share them out on social media, and hit the little bell icon so you can be notified as new content drops. Now, Thursday's episode for this week, I'm going to make a major announcement about my own personal photographic journey, so you definitely don't want to miss that episode. I will see you all at that time.